1: Hello and welcome back to the new books in Indian Religions Podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkwar, and more importantly, I have the pleasure today of speaking with Dr. John Paul Sidner, um, who is the co-editor. Uh, he's a professor of Old Religions at Manuel College and co-editor of a really fascinating uh, collection of essays. The the, the the publication is called Non-dualism and Interreligious Exploration. John Paul, welcome to the podcast.
0: It's great to be here, Raj. Thanks for having me.
1: So, there's got to be a backstory for such a volume. How did this? How did this? Whose brainchild this is? How did it come into being? How did you? How did you sort of herd all of these, you know, you know, high high flying cats together? Like, how did this come together?
0: Well, I was, um, you know, I'm somebody who's concerned about the world and engaged in the world, and I just kind of realized or. Felt like there's this problem with everybody feeling separate from everybody else, people feeling separate from um the world in which we live and feeling they like they could pollute it without consequence. And and, and I had been studying non-dualism in various forms for years. I've been studying Hindu uh non-dualism primarily through my acharya, Ramanuja. And then also I then I started studying Buddhist non-dualism primarily through Nagarjuna, and I just had this insight that um, non-dualism was the concept that the world needed more of, and then I looked into my own tradition. I'm a um, Christian, and I started to kind of realize that we had in our own tradition um, a a non-dual concept that had not really been interpreted as a non-dual concept, but that is the Trinity, which was both three and one. Non-dualism, meaning something is both one and two at the same time as, as I interpret it. And then the Christian Trinity is both three and one. And I just decided to marry those concepts in my own theology. But then also I wanted to deepen my knowledge of non-dualism before doing so and kind of get the concept out there. So I began to edit this volume, Non-dualism and interreligious Exploration.
1: It's fascinating. Um a number of really fascinating contributions from various traditions that we'll dive into, but all the more apropos sort of uh, New Books Network and sort of its aims and my own as a sort of public intellectual is um, uh, rendering accessible what we do and also relevant showing the relevance. I mean, however a niche research topic it's, the person who's spent a decade of their life charting it out may not realize it because they're too in the weeds, but Mm -hmm. there's something to care about there. There's something, there's a reason why they care about this. And there's a reason why others should care about this. And we have to tease that out. Now, in this particular instance, it's abundantly clear from the get-go, from the description, you care about the state of the world and you think that this concept may well be useful for folks who are looking to perhaps transcend division schism it's
0: a it's a very practical concept and basically it says you know Thich Han said decades ago our sole purpose is to overcome the illusion of our separation and that is a fundamentally non-dual statement and I and just think of all the practical values of overcoming the illusion of our separation think about um I mean I, I don't want to sound messianic But if we could overcome the illusion of our separation, we would not have wars and we wouldn't have this massive gap in wealth between the rich and the poor, and we wouldn't be polluting our environment to our own detriment. So it's just uh, it's a it's a very um, deep concept, it's a profound concept, but it's also a very practical concept.
1: What would you to say to someone uh, who, you know, Othakov said, look, well, non-dualism makes a lot of sense in the Indic context or uh, in theologies and philosophies and spiritualities where there's a sense of Maya, there's a sense of sort of an illusory nature of the world, and there's posited uh, a ground of being or or, or transcendental self that is innate to all all, all, all beings. And what would you say if, if one said, look... Does that work in a Christian context? Does that work in an Abrahamic context? Um, uh, is this idea that we, we are we are actually separated? Is that not yeah, a, a core tenet to other religious traditions? What might you say to that sort of? Uh,
0: I think with within the Abrahamic faiths, both um, I mean Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, you can find non-dual traditions within those faiths. They might be a minority report, but they're definitely there. And that's why we have a Christian, Jewish, and Muslim contributors to this volume, because they can advocate non-dualism from their own traditions as well. And when when I read um, Abrahamic endorsements of non-dualism, I find it inspiring. To me, it sounds promising. To me, it sounds warm. To me, it sounds Ethically sound, like it's going to produce a a morality that'll be healing for the world. So I'm I'm excited to be propagating, you know, not just Hindu and Buddhist non dualism, which we already know that's there, but also retrieving Jude- Jewish, Christian, and Islamic non dualism, and giving that some some amplitude.
1: Yeah, for those interested, uh, and uh, um, without question, this podcast will be cross-posted to various channels because it pertains to so many religious traditions, new books in Christian studies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, for those listening who who may not have pulled up the podcast notes or have gone, the site maybe you're driving or washing dishes or walking your dog who knows what Uh, there there are three sections uh the essays are are, are combined into three sections and the middle section is actually uh, part two is reimagining our traditions through non-dualism where there are fascinating uh reimaginings from uh christian jewish uh, islamic um perspectives very rich um Did you know at the outset that was part of the concept uh, was the interreligious dimension crucial to you at the outset? Was that, is that, would you say that's, you know, was that the primary aim?
0: My whole academic career has been in promotion of improved interreligious relations. That's my calling. I I believe that's my vocation from God. I think God finds interreligious hatred, interreligious strife, deeply offensive. I don't think God has the foggiest idea. Why people who are trying to worship God would then disagree about how to worship God and then try to harm each other because they disagree about how to worship God. So certainly um, one aspect of reality that I believe to be non-dual are the traditions themselves and their relationships with each other. In the sense that I, I think we're inseparable from one another. I think we need each other. I think we need to be in community with one another. And when I say that, I don't mean we're going to homogenize one another into a some kind of a brown gruel. I mean, we can be together and retain our distinctiveness and offer that distinctiveness to one another. And through that, we can all improve one another and we can grow together and growing together. Doesn't mean, you know, combining eventually, but just, just becoming our better selves together. All the religions could do that.
1: You know, one of the truisms in the back of my brain, I I I love life. I love people. I've been watching and studying my whole life. Uh, I, I get I've you know, I have papers that say apparently you no know, religious studies or Sanskrit literature, but really people is is one of my greatest passions. And and it seems to me that that people uh for all of their diversity and all of their intricacies and uniqueness overarchingly are here for some yoga or yoga they're here for uh they tend towards separating (laughs) people or uniting people and that principle transcends the prima facie distinctions of this is my religion this is my gender this is my age group this is my socioeconomic class and you know um it's it really is it's refreshing and great to meet people who are all about some yoga or bringing people together whatever that looks like and all the more exciting to use scholarship as a vehicle of that right and so yeah, i don't, it's, it's I don't really...
0: yeah i i don't i've stopped thinking about people as muslims or jews or christians or hindus or buddhists or whomever i really think of people as uniting people and dividing people and there are Christians who unite people and there are Christians who divide people. And in every religion, there are people who are kind and conciliatory and peacemaking. And there are people who are just really mean and selfish and divisive. And so I want to team up with the, the kind conciliatory people who want to make peace and a better world, whatever their religion or no religion and, and work toward that
1: together. Amen, brother. So, um, a question for you, uh, with the perspective that you have looking at these uh, i think the uh, 13 i can't remember how exactly how many these number of uh, uh 14 contributions what um stood out in your mind what what struck you what What was noteworthy about once you have received these and looked at these and looked at these as a whole did anything surprise you or is anything really remarkable about this process from your perspective
0: Up uh, two things were remarkable i mean i i love a bunch of the essays right um, I love Ooh, all like, these, Likewise, I think fab- likewise, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and, first I'll talk about an essay I, I really enjoyed. It's, it's that, um, Charles Atkins wrote an essay about his, um, the way that Advaita Vedanta affected his Christian prison ministry and that the concept of concepts of Advaita Vedanta and. The idea of being free even when you're incarcerated in Advaita Vedanta. And then his entire um, back and forth with um, Anantanand Ramachand on that and then was just absolutely fascinating and intensely relevant and transformative in a world that I'm not familiar familiar with, which is the world of prison chaplaincy. And then, you know, Charles also responded to Anant's essay, and they had another exchange about um Advaita Vedanta and just really making it real, something that you feel and practice in your everyday American life. And I I enjoyed that exchange tremendously. So that's one. The other one that I really enjoyed um was writing my own, which I, I don't want to sound self promoting or anything, but I and Mukhtar Ali, who is a Muslim non-dualist, we had an exchange and I really promoted the Trinity and not just the Trinity, but a concept in Christianity called the social Trinity, which really emphasizes the three um, over the one. And it's, it's three persons united through perfect love into one divine community. That's the Trinity. And in Islam, of course, they have the concept of Tawheed or the pure unity of God. And so Mukhtar and I, we went back and forth about the relationship between the Trinity and Tawheed, and we really learned from each other. We deeply disagreed with each other, but the disagreement was very loving and respectful and i really think that's the answer we're not going to come to agreement the world's religions are not going to agree on on everything that cannot be um a predicate of religious peace we need to disagree with one another fruitfully and respectfully and that can that can lead to real peace
1: you know this this uh, subtle but important practice art even of holding space for the dignity and the humanity of your interlocutor and not demonizing based on their pension, their view, even their behavior, ill or good, uh, it, it, that that um, it, it, they are a human being, and you are a human being, and you unite whatever you, whatever one, whatever characteristics one ascribes to being a human being, ought to be ascribed to the person, and they have views. Their views are malleable; they're changeable. They, their their views are to be engaged in a way that doesn't impinge upon their dignity their sovereignty their agency that can be challenging when you when you're when you're engaging interlocutors whose very aim is to challenge your your dignity your agency your sovereignty of course right. of course of course um but it's 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 it really is more needed than ever before it seems to me this this um this ability to engage ideas and even attack ideas without attacking the person,
0: right? Right, and, and and Mukhtar and I disagreed with each other, but it was just very productive disagreement. And I think, um, one argument I think this book implicitly makes is that dissensus or disagreement is actually more intellectually productive than consensus. Because consensus is less challenging than dissensus. But the dissensus has to take place within a context of um, respect and rationality and um, kind of shared values of conversation that make that conversation fruitful. But that can be done. And I think that's really our greatest hope.
1: Is non-dualism the same as or different from unity? And how so?
0: So... I mean, non-dualism has a lot of different definitions. So to to be clear, I am very much working with a concept of um, monistic pluralism. So I really think that diversity is real. Differentiation is real. I do not believe that those are all illusions, but I do believe they are fundamentally unified and fundamentally harmonious through God. So I and... um, god and the material universe are distinct but at the same time we are all actually um being god we are produced by god the material universe is the body of god um and then i am sustained by god and so we are all divine in relationship with one another at on the one hand and then on the other hand Uh, My relationship with you right now, or my relationship with um, other people in my life right now, those relationships also are non-dual. We are distinguishable, but inseparable. So I'm working with a kind of a um, monistic pluralism or a harmonious complexity as the concept of non-dualism. And so our vocation within that context is to work toward unity not identity, not where we absorb each other, but where we relate to one another freely as distinct, but as fundamentally unified.
1: Are all of the perspectives in the book theological nature?
0: Oh, I think there are different. um, There's some different essays in here that are not quite as theological. For example, Jen Wade uh, wrote an essay that's very much focused on um, socioeconomic problems and applying queer theory to socioeconomic problems. And so that's that one's um, much less theological than most of them. And obviously I talked about Charles Atkins essay earlier about prison chaplaincy, that's very ethical, very practical. And then there are um, there's some are more spiritual in, in focus. So for example, Jeffrey Long's article is uh, more about the continuous experience of increase that non-dualism offers us. And he works between the um, Advaita Vedanta tradition and the Zen tradition in his particular essay. So those were all very um, informative and diverse and unique.
1: Where does this publication fit against the backdrop of current scholarship? whether in non-dualism or in other fields, other related fields?
0: Oh, non-dualism is, although that word may not be used, it is um, gaining prominence in many, many different fields. I mean, obviously, environmental science is one of them. Climatology is one of them. But even in um, reader response theory and literary studies where, you You talk about the book and the reader transforming one another. It's not just the reader interpreting the book, but the book interprets the reader. So there's a non-dual, reciprocal uh, aspect to that. And then you have certain uh, forms of therapy now, where it's very much the it's not so much that the patient is getting wisdom from the counselor, but that the relationship between the patient and the therapist is what is actually producing the healing. So that's a, a form of relational, relationalism as healing. So I think that non-dualism, although it's it's or relationalism, what, ecologism, organicism, whatever you want to call it, is growing in influence as a worldview as various aspects of the world are coming to increasingly realize that we're not, isolated monads that bounce off of each other. We are fundamentally, intrinsically related to each other, transforming one another, always influencing and always being influenced by one another.
1: And what about the inter-religious uh, phenomenon, particularly in scholarship? What's that like?
0: Oh, it's it's fabulous. And I think, I mean, a lot of what I'm saying right now is just completely autobiographical. I mean, I was raised by a Presbyterian minister. I had two uncles who were Presbyterian ministers. We've had been going to Presbyterian churches for years. And in my own personal spiritual autobiography, I, I explored other religions and considered them. I returned home to my own tradition, but I was permanently transformed by that exposure, and I wanted that transformation to continue. So I've just never stopped studying other religions Um, you know, primarily Hinduism and Buddhism, but I've also studied quite a bit of um, Judaism, Islam, uh, Taoism and Confucianism. And so it's, and it's, it's just, it's beneficial. It's wonderful. It makes you broad minded. It makes you um, fascinated by every aspect of the world. So you don't fear you know large swaths of reality which happens with a lot of people who are afraid or intimidated by otherness they don't want their what they hold to be familiar to be t- interrogated by difference but if you want to be interrogated by difference it's just a huge wonderful challenging world that is continually offering
1: growth is is there a fair bit of scholarship in interreligious Dialogue is it a burgeoning field? Is it you know what's that like producing scholarship oh, in that
0: field? Oh, it's a major field. I mean, I got my PhD at Boston College, studying under Frank Clooney, um, who then went to he went to Harvard, and ran the Harvard Center for the Study of World Religions for um, for a while, number of years, and so and there are many many people practicing comparative theology right now, which is doing theology. For your own tradition in conversation with other traditions. And that's growing. And I think it's just the next natural step in theological development. I there, you know, there are times where Presbyterian seminaries just taught Calvinism. And then they kind of started, well, we can read some of these really good books written by Methodists and Lutherans and Episcopalians too. And then They were like, okay, so we can read some really good books written by Catholic and Orthodox thinkers, too. And then I think the next step, naturally, is to have uh, your students in seminaries reading really impressive works of religious literature from other traditions and learning from them. And that doesn't mean that they're no longer Christian, it can just make them better Christians.
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, we've had uh, Frank Foonie on the podcast, I think two or three times, always fascinating conversations, um, sort of dovetailing and sort of cross-pollinating traditions without, as you say, it's fascinating, not giving up one's tradition if one is writing from a confessional or theological perspective, but somehow um, re- retaining one's commitment and allegiance, but being open enough to uh, receive and glean insights from other traditions. I mean, certainly, um, certainly, no tradition has a monopoly on wisdom. No, uh, right.
0: And I would, I would even say, you know, at, at any time, I, I would have converted to another tradition that I was studying if I felt like that would have. Uh, worked better for me. I was open to that possibility, but I just um, found the person of Jesus continually compelling. And that's what kept me within my own tradition, but still in a way transformed by other religions.
1: Who would you say the book is for? Who might most benefit from or be interested in the book?
0: I think this book is for... The the essays in the book are very well written. So I'm not going to limit its audience to academics. I think anyone... Who is um, likes to read can read the book and benefit from the book. The, my the essays are not heavy on jargon, and they should be accessible to your um, anyone interested in spirituality in reading spirituality. So I think it's it's for people like that, and then I also think it's for people who sense that reality offers more than we can receive. And there's something beyond within reality that points us toward kind of a, a hidden riches. And because of that, I think uh, non-dualism is a word that points to that potential experience. And it's, it tends to be that the non-dual traditions within the different religions, they tend to be the, the mystical traditions, um, very experiential, very universalist, very inclusive um, less legalistic, less kind of rigorous, if you will. So I, I would say people who enjoy reading spirituality would enjoy reading this book and that it could potentially change how they experience and interpret life.
1: Now you mentioned at the outset that this is a calling for you. Just you say a little bit more about that and perhaps you know what else you' you're working on or, or what next?
0: okay yo this whole i'm kind of when i had my insight about non-dualism as being the concept that the world needs right now i just decided to dedicate the rest of my career to promoting non-dualism so that's my calling i think it's a god-given vocation and i hope that what i'm doing pleases god and that's very much, and you know, bringing people from different religions together to share and expl- explicate a shared concept while not trying to convert each other, but just having a, a deep conversation that's fantastically gratifying for me. So my own effort, which is very much um, an expansion of the essay in this book, I've, I have just completed, I'm, I'm about to submit to my publisher a systematic christian theology which is based on the trinity the belief that three persons are united through love into one god and then taking that concept and explicating it based on um, both hindu and buddhist concepts of non-dualism and so what i'm doing there is i'm taking this whole insight that two things are united so they're both one and two at the same time. I'm taking that South Asian insight and I'm applying it to the Christian Trinity, which has always said that they're one in three at the same time. And then that's giving me all kinds of insights from that unifying theme. That gives me all kinds of insights into, for example, how humans should relate to one another, how humans should relate to the world that we live in. What is the function of, of the church? How should we read the Bible? Um, what what constitutes healing in a universe in which we are intended for unity with one another? And I'm basically um, reconceptualizing the Christian tradition based on that insight.
1: And what, how do I phrase this? What impact do you hope or intend on the ground?
0: On the ground, I hope I have at least two hopes first of all i hope anybody who reads my book would feel more at home in life after reading my book i would hope that when life is difficult they recognize why it's difficult and experience the difficulty with hope i would hope that they um would be more kind to others and recognize that this this kindness to everyone is part of our our everyone's God-given vocation. And I would hope that they would see um, reality itself, life itself as continually offering growth and increase and maturation. and that that process is a process of growth in God and toward God. and that's what makes life rich. So that's that's for individuals and then for communities. If a church were to read it, for example, I would hope that they would have a, um, a deeper shared sense of meaning and purpose in their ministry to the world. And that they would know why they're working so hard to heal the world and to um, to not take the history that we've received and just perpetuate it into the future blindly. Because there's so many dark patches in human history. But the past does not have to determine the future. We can create a new future. And I think that is one of the promises of non-dualism. Because we are free to act in our relationships with one another and the world. We're not constrained by the past. And so we actually can break with the past and create a better future. new
1: beginning regarding the non-dualism uh collection would you say that um would you say that they are speaking to individuals who are for lack of a better better word believers within a a a religious paradigm or would you say that there are sort of there are papers that are um edict you know speaking from without tradition
0: oh i think they're they're all speaking from a tradition, so definitely definitely speaking from a tradition. And I would say that all of these papers speak to anyone who is a seeker. Now, I'm defining seeker very broadly. I would say that you can be a seeker and be in a religious tradition, or you could be a seeker and be outside a religious tradition. But one thing that I, I believe non-dualism commends is permanent seeking. In the sense that, you know, you've never arrived. There's no finish line. There's no resolution, because if there was a finish line or resolution, you would stop growing. Life would be boring. You would, um, you wouldn't have anywhere to go. So there's a permanent, processual insight in this book that encourages people to seek perpetually whether they identify with the, with the tradition or not. So I, I think anybody interested in wisdom and spiritual growth could read this book and profit from it.
1: Was well, there anything else about the volume that you hope we touch on?
0: I think that one thing I, I really like about the book, which I got a little bit of pushback from the publisher. Um, not, not much, just a little bit, but at the end of every chapter, there is someone responds to the chapter, and then the author of the chapter responds to the respondent. And we put that in for a reason. It wasn't just to say, you know, let's let's imitate a conference or or something like that. We put that in specifically because we wanted the epistemology of the book itself to be non-dual, to be conversational, to be dialectical, to imply that, you know, when the essay is published, it's not just published and it's a solid thing and it stays there, but you can actually have conversations about it. And so we have a very brief conversation about each essay after every essay. And I think that's really important because obviously any of those conversations could have gone on forever. So what we're implying by doing that is that we have begun a conversation, we have not finished the conversation, and there's tremendously more to
1: say. I'm glad that you brought that up, actually, because above and beyond the content of the conversation, the modeling of the methodology of conversation may well be useful, inspiring for folks in terms of just witnessing what conversations along these lines could look like and perhaps even emulating them or trying them in their own lives with various interlocutors.
0: Right. And conversation itself is a an example of non-dualism. I mean, in a good conversation where both people are open to the conversation, participatory and vulnerable, the conversation is an emergent third property. It's not just the combination of the two people. It is, it has its own being, it has its own direction. It it goes its own places. Neither person is directing the conversation in a, a real deep, true conversation and that's an example of emergence that's an example of the power of combination and the power of of relationalism and it it just shows that um, when things really combine deeply relate they can become not just greater than the sum of their parts but other than the sum of their parts
1: yeah, that's a really resonant idea. Uh, just uh, the other day, I was chatting with a, a a client. I do sort of life guidance work, and in this particular situation, they were um they were kind of work through a relational issue. The analogy that came to mind is that you know it's like it's like there's two of you in a boat, and the boat is the relationship. It's it's neither one of you. It's beyond both of you, and it's carrying both of you. Yeah. um and you know at times you have to prioritize your needs or the other person's needs and at times the relationship itself will have needs all of its own so I really like the idea um that the conversation or the the, the, the synergy or the alchemy or the you know the more than the sum of its partsness of human interaction because if you really are open to interaction you can't possibly be quite the same post interacting with someone
0: no it's it's always transformative it's always um, it's always growth oriented. And that's why, you know, I've talked about Nagarjuna several times and his concept of shunyata or emptiness has played a big role in the book and in my interpretation of the Trinity. At the same time, I would say that um, I, I kind of prefer another translation of shunyata, which is openness. And that if you're open you, you will continually be transformed and grow. And all the benefits that come with growth will come to you, which is just, you know, wider compassion, greater participation in the universe and kind of feeling not that you're limited to your ego self, but feeling that you are expanded beyond your ego self into um, a greater portion of reality. And that's, that's kind of a a wonderful self-expansion. And, and spiritually, it feels that that feeling of of increase is very um, rewarding. And I would say in the Christian tradition, we've conceptualized that as theosis or divinization, drawing closer to God and increasingly uh, expressing the image of God within ourselves.
1: And the openness of the reed flute, perhaps, when the music arises, right? It's the Correct. Openness. It's the emptiness that is a source of music. Correct.
0: Wonderful analogy, which is not in my book. I'll have to go back, rewrite the whole book and put that <laughs> analogy in somewhere.
1: Well, you, you, you'll be right. Clearly you have more books to write and you'll be back on the podcast whenever you, po- do. Whenever you pop one out. So you feel free to use it wherever you'd like. Fantastic. Well, it was great um, speaking with you today about the book and about your, your larger mission and your views and your, your perspective on our times. So thank you very much for appearing on the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. I enjoyed the conversation tremendously.
1: Likewise. For those listening, of course, we've been speaking with Dr. John Paul Sidner um, of Emmanuel College, who is the co editor of this really fascinating collection uh, of perspectives on non dualism called non dualism and interreligious exploration. Um, until next time, keep well, keep reading, keep listening, and keep contemplating dialogue and how we can improve conversation, um, particularly in these times through which we live. Take care.